Hello, welcome to the Tice Cracking Cybersecurity Podcast. And we have an important announcement to kick off our show before delving deep into cyber chat. Our podcast has been nominated for not just one, but two awards at this year's European Security Awards. We are up for Best New Cybersecurity Podcast and Best Security Podcast. We'd like to thank you all for your support over the past year. And we also ask that you go and vote for us. Just look up the EU Security Awards and you should find the link to cast your vote. I'll also include the link in the programme notes. And without further ado, let's get to this week's topic, where we are asking, can cybersecurity be creative? I'm your host, Anna Delaney, editor at TICE. And on this podcast, I'll be speaking with CEO and co-founder at Tessian, Tim Sadler, about whether, amidst high stress and anxiety, CISOs can afford to be creative and take risks in their decision-making. Also, can the role of defender really be a creative one? And Tim dishes out advice on how to creatively recruit for creative thinkers and how he keeps his own leadership inspired. Tim has both a conventional and unconventional start to security. Here he is giving a brief overview as to how it all began. So I guess it's very conventional in some ways. So I do have a technical background in that I studied engineering for four years. So I always thought that I was going to become an engineer. Um, But uh, I also have a degree in um, something called innovation design engineering, which I studied at art school. So I went to the Royal College of Art for two years um, and studied um, creativity, entrepreneurship, new venture creation there. Um, so it's unconventional in the sense that uh, taking engineers uh, to art school is uh, you get some interesting results from that. And in terms of an environment, uh, for me, it was um, it was really the place that taught me to expand my horizons and uh, think, well, the importance of creativity in solving problems, whether that's within cybersecurity or, or any other area uh, of technology. Creativity is something that's often underrepresented and under under you know it's not discussed at the length that it that it should be I think so I'm just I'm just curious as to how that approach has impacted the way you think and the way you view security as opposed to someone else who might not have had that background I think that's yeah that's a that's a great point so design thinking is something that's been spoken about for a number of years which is um well design we often think about in terms of um, the aesthetic of something. What color are we going to make an object? Uh, what color are we going to make a mobile phone, etc.? But actually, design thinking can be applied to um, traditional business concepts and business problems as well. So, if we think about something from um, a design-led perspective, we are picking that de- picking that apart and saying, um, what are all the ways in which we could solve this problem that maybe haven't been um, haven't been attempted before. And in security for us, uh, it allowed us to approach the problem of email security in a completely different way, which is rather than thinking about a system of rules or controls that use syntax. So if you if you want to block an email, you use a series of predefined rules. If the email says the keyword confidential and it's being sent to any of these people, block the email from being sent you can actually approach it from a completely different angle, which is based on the history of previous emails that came before, what can I learn from those previous emails in terms of determining whether this email that I'm sending is safe or not? 
So the big benefit there is that nobody needs to define a set of rules. Um, you can use machine learning to understand from previous communications whether the email you're sending is appropriate or not. So often rules do come up when you're talking about cybersecurity. I mean, you, you can imagine a CISO more often than not in a stressful situation, uh, a vulnerable environment. So they're forced to follow standards, processes. That doesn't leave much room to be creative. Yeah, I think that's, that's a really common way of thinking. Um, it's really the practice in most organizations is to go for the safe bet. But I think without taking risk, without taking a, um, a new approach, you're never going to achieve, you're going to always achieve um, results that are expected. You're never going to achieve anything extraordinary. Um, so um, taking a bet on new technology that is using that creative approach can um, massively exceed expectations of what's come before. And it's something that we've worked very hard to do at Tessian, which is with a creative approach to solving an age-old security problem, um, can you create an experience for the enterprise that's using that product, but also the users that are, the end users that are using that product and that outperforms anything else that's come before. So yeah, I think there is always a little bit of risk with uh, a creative approach or using creativity to solve, um, solve an age-old problem, but that's where you get the, the best results. And why do you think that's important in the security industry now? Um, I think it's particularly important because um, the nature of um, security challenges that CIOs and CISOs are facing is more complex than ever before. So whether it's people, um, well, first of all, attackers and hackers are extremely creative. So they are trying to constantly find new ways to access or break into your enterprise. So they're hyper-creative. You need a creative solution or you need a technology that is able to, to defend against those threats. But then also, if we think about how much sensitive data organizations hold today, um, it's incredibly difficult to safeguard that information given how many people are accessing that information and then all of the different forms of that information. So again, if you look back to how people secured or used to secure information, it would be to simply look for the existence of keywords that determine sensitivity and content. So you'd say, if the document contains secret or confidential, that infers that it's sensitive. But today, somebody's name or address or date of birth is personal information. That could be deemed highly sensitive depending on the context. If that's in the context of uh, a document containing you know, medical records against that data, um, it's highly sensitive. So it requires, um, it requires a, a sort of a very, very different, a very different approach. Now, you also mentioned there needs to be creativity in, in our defense mm -hmm. because the attacker is, is innovative and is finding new ways of breaking in. Can defense actually, in reality, be creative? Yeah, I think, I think it absolutely can. And how? Yeah, I think it absolutely can. I think it, I think it comes back to the core uh, method or approach that's been used by security technology. And for so many years, you saw the same approach being taken. It's really one of um, the most obvious technical solution with no regard to the user experience. So, for example, why don't we just encrypt, if we want to protect uh, email, why don't we just encrypt every single email that we send? And the answer is that 
it's really it's a really poor user experience to do that if you have to share a bilateral decryption key with everybody who's receiving that email so that they can access it and then also if you are removing the ability for somebody to so if somebody receives an encrypted email and they have to log into a secure platform to read it that's a really bad user experience and it often means that the person sending the email maybe knows they should encrypt it but in actual practice they won't so um, this is a really really obvious way of securing email um, for example but it but it doesn't create a good user experience so thinking creatively well how do you solve the problem of highly sensitive information being sent to the wrong person well you could just stop it from ever being sent to the wrong person in the first place and how might you do that um, and that's where thinking creatively you can you can say well if we could learn from historical email data and we could understand the normal patterns of sending uh, sorry normal sending patterns and behaviors of a user have they shared patient data with this recipient before no well then if you're sending it to them this time you might want to warn that user and ask them for confirmation before they send so really applying creativity to understand um, how can you create the best user experience um, but also how can you address the problem at the root cause rather than just trying to put in place a really obvious uh, security measure um, it's kind of like well I used to use a platform that required me to mark every single email by sensitivity rating before I sent it so on one hand it sort of solves the security problem right because if you're sending anything where the user has labeled it confidential outside the organization then you can stop it from being sent but in practice it doesn't really work because users send 50 emails a day they don't know how to correctly classify the information that they're sharing they don't like using that system it doesn't work on their mobile device um, so yeah I think it I think too often we see the very easy um, easy approach taken that doesn't actually solve the problem whereas it's much harder to think more deeply creatively about uh, the problem space but you get a much better user experience you get a much better technology to solve the problem ultimately so let's think about your own team how has creativity helped in your own team solve problem solve or is there something you can give me an example of how it's really impacted changed the course of something you were working on yeah um, I think the most uh, obvious place to start with that is really within our data science team um, so this is the group of people who design the algorithms that are used in all of our technology um, and really it is creativity and creative thinking there that allows us to see problems in a completely different way um, and uh, in the very very early days uh, even when I used to work on the product <laughs> with uh, Tom and Ed who are uh, who my co-founders um, we would approach it from first principles and not take anything for granted so if you're trying to um, if you're trying to figure out an algorithm or design an algorithm to prevent emails being sent to the wrong people you have to solve the problem of how do you classify an email as being misdirected from all of the contents of an email it's an it's like a very non-obvious um, problem uh, but we took some steps to well, yeah we took some without giving the secret sauce away we took some kind of creative um, creative steps with that to design something that in its very early days without having access to much training data at all was very very effective so there's this huge problem with machine learning algorithms that to design something uh, to be accurate you need lots of training data 
But for startups, you have no training data. So how do you actually, you know, how do you get your algorithm off the ground? And, and there was some great, great creative steps that we took in those early days. Um, so yeah, it began with data science and still today, our data science team, something that we test for in our um, interview process with candidates is not just technical competency, but can you creatively brainstorm? Um, yeah, can you brainstorm and think of ways in which you would approach designing an algorithm for X? That's an interesting point. What, so what, what other questions would you ask to candidates? So one of the questions that we ask to candidates is to think about our current products and then we get them to brainstorm um, ways in which they would approach solving that uh, problem. So, so what are you looking for though when they brainstorm? So I think we're looking for a number of things. The, um, the fundamental thing that we're looking for is uh, that word again, but um, the creativity that the candidate has. So are they able to think um, laterally about the problem space um, and come up with ideas that maybe we've never thought of before. And then the other thing is then, um, can they apply, um, do they have a good sense of reality in terms of the uh, ideas they're suggesting and how, how long or how quickly it might take to validate whether that is something that may work or, or may not work. Um, and do you think that's, that can be learnt or is that a, just a natural ability of thinking? I think that's a really good question. I mean, I think you can, I think you absolutely can teach creativity. I think it's something that, particularly in technical disciplines, you often find that people, um, yeah, it's not, <laughs> it's by no means um, unheard of. Well, actually, you see some great scientists, you know, who have been hyper, well, are often hyper creative and then also extremely technical. Um, but yeah, I think it is something that can be, can be taught or can be learned. Um, the challenge is um, in actually finding people who have gone through studying four years of computer science and then practicing for 10 years as an engineer. Um, not every single candidate has applied lots of creative thought or um, come at solving data science problems uh, in, that, in that way before. What advice would you give to, to people out there, younger people who are looking to cybersecurity about the, the sort of things they should be studying or other projects they could be doing on the side to really help them? I think, I mean, it's probably advice that I would give anyone about um, breaking into any area of technology, which is to find something you have a genuine interest in and then work on projects in your own time to try and solve, try and solve some of the problems that you see or perceive. It's like people getting into... Um, app development, try and build an app that you, you know, that you want in your personal life and you'll be, you'll have so much more motivation to go and do it. So if you're trying to break into security as an engineer or, um, you know, or you want to be a data scientist working on security problems, try and design algorithms or solutions to some of the problems that you, you perceive, even if they're, you know, not scalable and they're not going to work in production. It just gets your mind thinking and it gets you, um, yeah, it, it helps you train yourself to understand some of the challenges you'd face when taking that, uh, taking that forward and trying to productionize that. And how do you keep your own leadership from not becoming stagnant? When, when you're stuck, how do, you, how do you approach it in a more creative way? Yeah. How do you, and how do you make sure you keep on doing that? Yeah. You know, we can fall into patterns. We are human. Yeah, one of the hardest things, I think, is that... Um, 
you get your best, well, I find that I get my best ideas when I'm most relaxed and you feel you have that sense of time and, um, yeah, that sense of calm. And what's difficult is you often need those ideas. Um, when, you, when you need those ideas the most, it can be the busiest time for the company or for the organization. So it's giving yourself time to decompress, unwind, and then allow yourself naturally, allow those kinds of ideas or those thoughts to naturally come to you rather than, um, you know, rather than trying to force them. It's really hard, I think, for me, but also a lot of other people to say, right, we've got the scheduled hour of creativity. Well, is that the key? Is that scheduling creativity? I think, I think there's two interesting points here, which is that, you know, there's that joke, right, that people come up with all their ideas in the shower in the morning. I think there's a, there's a reason for that. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> which is that when we just kind of let our minds wander and we are in that sense of, you know, just calmness or there's no, there's no a pressure, um, we can come up with some great ideas. But then at the same time, it is also something that, you know, if you're someone who hasn't, isn't used to brainstorming, isn't used to trying to come up with a hundred ways to solve uh, a problem. For example, a uh, hundred designs for a new chair, you know, is a really interesting way to try and train yourself to be more creative. It's actually quite a hard thing to do. Or a hundred ideas for uh, a cup. Um, these are really common objects. Can you think of a hundred new ways to go about that same thing? That's when I think scheduling that creative time can be useful, but it doesn't necessarily work in terms of, okay, we're going to have a one-hour schedule to try and come up with the, um, the way to address uh, this technical problem that we have or come up with ideas for a new, for a new product that so we have. So it's sort of taking a walk, a 10-minute walk sometimes yeah. at lunch. <laughs> I think both are really important um, in short, but it's also something that, you know, when you're trying to find an idea that's going to take your company to the next level or it's going to open up an entirely new market, if only it were as simple as saying, I'll schedule an hour and then at the end of it, I'll have that, I'll have that idea. But it, it often isn't. You need both in, uh, in practice. Yeah, because I'm thinking about CISOs. You, know, you mentioned calm and you know, relax. Those are the perfect conditions um, for creativity. But so often anxiety comes up, stress comes up. They don't have very much time. You know, what, what's advice to them when you are short of time? I mean, do you, do you look to other people or other places for inspiration? Yeah, absolutely. So I love reading, and I love reading about topics that are completely unrelated to, you know, technology or security. Such as? Or, <laughs> it's a good question. I mean, I read, about, I read about all sorts of things. I'm trying to think, oh, I'm reading about um, uh, biology at the moment, which is a field that I have no experience in. I've just got an interest in learning more about how cells and genes work. But there are things that you see in those subjects that do help inspire or spark ideas for how you might go and solve certain problems or think about things in a different way. Um, but that's personally how I do it. But I mean, we have people in our engineering team who like paint in their spare time. In fact, our CTO, you know, he used to paint in his spare time and just anything to find that. Um, well, you should just do the things that you enjoy that relax your mind and help you kind of take your thoughts to a you know, different place. I think sometimes it's easy to just get very um, lost in the weeds. You know, we're, we're so low level sometimes. We're just 
bouncing from meeting to meeting or problem to problem that we sometimes don't take that step back, look at the whole picture and think, you know, why, why are we even going about it? Why are we even going about it this way anyway? If you take a step back, you can sometimes look at it with a fresh perspective or you can look at it with other people, fresh pair of eyes and say, you know, that probably made sense a month ago, but now why don't we try this completely different new, you know, completely new um, strategy or, or way, way of approaching the problem. Thanks to Tim. That's all we have time for, unfortunately. Please do subscribe to our podcast and rate our shows, as well as voting for us in the EU Security Awards. It's all greatly appreciated. For now, it's bye from us. Join us next time for more Cyber Conversations.